Hello world, and welcome to God Said Give Them Drum Machines Behind the Scenes Podcast, Episode 3. Can you believe it? We are just moving right along. Episode 3. And we just want to show our appreciation and love for you guys being with us from the start. Um, We especially want to give a special shout out to some listeners in Nigeria, Finland, Russia, and Colombia. Let me tell you, this techno thing, this Detroit techno thing is international, baby. I'm here to tell you. And speaking of techno, we have decided to dedicate this entire episode three to the great Mike Huckabee. Without a doubt, without question, Mike Huckabee has influenced a lot of people in the dance community across the globe. And I can't wait for you to hear the kind words from others in the house and techno community about the great Mike Huckabee. Before we get into it, though, I definitely want you guys to welcome Jennifer Washington and David Grandison, my teammates for today. And they are also producers on the great God Said Give Them Drum Machines documentary. Thanks, Ridge, and thank you for all that you do. I'm Jennifer Washington, and I, along with Christian Hill and Dave Grandison, have been producing this feature-length documentary on Detroit Techno for almost 10 years now. And this project has taken us around the world and what an amazing journey it's been. It's also been so much fun getting to know my childhood heroes in this way. As everyone may or may not know, I grew up on the Northwest side of Detroit in the 1980s and I had no idea who these guys were at the time or that this awesome music was even from the D. I, um, it's crazy because fast forward 20 years, I'm now on this mission to make sure that the whole world knows about this music and that Detroiters are responsible for it. And uh, after having interviewed Juan, Kevin, Derek, Blake, and Santonio, and everyone else as many times as we had, I mean, each time we connected with them, I definitely uh, was a little starstruck and impressed. But I have to say that after having met Mike Huckabee, I was not only impressed, but I was inspired and humbled. When we first met, he told us about a music program at Detroit's Youthville Community Center, where he had been volunteering and teaching music production. He was so passionate about passing this information on to kids. And he was a little disappointed because this, he just didn't think that it was gonna continue. And I, when I asked him why, he said, because en- enrollment was low and that it was too expensive for a lot of these kids. And when I asked him how much it cost, he said it was $25 a year. And for once, it got me to be thinking about something other than myself. And it inspired me to figure out how I could help too. And then he started to tell us about this dream, so to speak, that he had about how God and the angels were sitting around discussing what they should do about Detroit 
one day. And what he said moved Christian and I so much to the point that we both knew at that moment that we had a new title for our film. I know how this industry works. I know how it's set up to take complete advantage of a person's soul. And I have this analogy. Guy was sleeping one day and the angels came in the room like, man, you know, the people in Detroit, man, are like saying they're starving. We gotta do something, man. Like they're saying they can't take how hard it is out here. God said, give them the drum machine. And the angels looked at each other like drum machine. And then one angel was smart enough to say, you know what? If God says that, then that's what you do. And the last time that I saw Mike was in 2018 in Detroit. I had heard he had been sick. And so I made a point to connect with him over a smoothie. And I brought him a God said, give him drum machines, hoodie and a t-shirt and a poster, all with his words as the title of our film. It was so important for Christian and I to show Mike where we were going with all of this. Because what started out as a small documentary project about the music from our hometown had soon become our life's work. And we will always be indebted to Mike and his character and legacy forever. So on this episode, we have managed to unearth a mix that our director, Christian Hill, and Mike Huckabee did back in 1987 at Michigan State. Is that crazy or what? Our director, Christian Hill, has some DJ skills and has a recorded DJ set to prove it a DJ set that he did with Mike Huckabee. That, that's just, that's crazy. But, you know, thanks to Lanier in South Africa, a friend of ours, he is the one that was able to dig up this tape, this mixtape from so long ago. So this tape that Christian Hill and Mike Huckabee did uh, in 1987, uh, the mix will be on air at 8-Ball Radio dot nyc that's eight ball radio dot nyc and we'll also be getting it up on our soundcloud too so you know keep updated on our socials for more info uh christian hill the director and dj man that's crazy as long as i've known christian i never knew that uh he had touched those uh turntables uh at some point but hey Enough of me talking. Let's get into this DJ set, uh, Christian Hill and Mike Huckabee. You know how back in the day, these tapes were like everything just to get a tape of this music and have your own interpretation from it, you know, or or have somebody else's interpretation that you could kind of like co-opt as your own, you know, like 
you knew what D train, you knew uh, sidewalk talk, you knew Martin Circus, and you had like tapes and somehow uh, mixes that represented like your interpretation of this music, right? So, uh, and just to make one was like something was was like, you know, just to have the opportunity to make one was like one thing. It's not like a, it wasn't like a playlist either. It was just kind of like, you know, you could, you got whatever you got when you turned on, when you press record on the radio, you never knew what you were going to get. It sometimes took you into other worlds, you know, and this particular tape is uh, something that just like, man, I was, I wasn't even looking for, I didn't even know it existed, you know? And uh, watching, watching kind of people talk about, uh, I think it was a uh, Jesse Saunderson, Jesse Saunders. He does these like little podcasts where he talks about kind of people's early history and house and techno. And he had one about Detroit, and it, they were talking about the progressive era almost like it didn't exist. And just what this progressive music was, bro, and the progressive music that we used to play. And, uh, man, I got on kind of like a little hunt for progressive tapes. This early music, this early progressive music is kind of the history of it has been lost. So I was looking for tapes, you know, and uh, my buddy Emmett Nicholas, I know he has a collection. My boy Fred Little has a collection that, that I'm learning about. And uh, now uh, I was reaching out to my boy Lanier who lives in South Africa. I knew he had a collection. And uh, bro, through because of COVID, you know what I mean? I hadn't talked to, I, I wanted to reach out to Lanier. I haven't talked to him in years. And, and just, we hooked up, had a good conversation. And then in the conversation, I asked him, did he have, did he still have his tape collection? He said, yeah, man. And, you know, he told me, you know, he had some King Collier. He had some Steve Dunbar. You know, he even had some Daryl Shannon. And dude, in those tapes, he had uh, an early tape of me. And he had another tape of me and Mike Huckabee from Michigan State in 1987, bro. And uh, that tape... I, you know, I I didn't even know it existed, man. So uh, he shared it with me. And, uh, bro, it brought back a lot of memories. You know what I mean? Just the rush of, like, going and getting all your equipment together, having your crates, packing the car, renting the speakers, you know, just the, going to hook up the speakers. I mean, just the whole vibe, bro. And, uh on this tape, man, I introduced Huckabee, dude. <laughs> I'm like, you know, for the next half an hour, you're gonna hear Mr. Mike Huckabee, you know. I even hit him with the cut it up mic, you know, <laughs> at the end of it. And dude, just the, the the memories that shit brought back, bro. I uh I miss my man. Our friendship is based in music. And uh this is just an example of it, you know. I'd like to say 
Take time out to welcome each and every one of you to the MSU Union. All right, you have a half an hour left. A half an hour left to build your parents up. I'm your audio tech, and my name is Mr. Christian Hill. And I'll be looking forward to seeing you again. And now on the table, Mr. Mike Huckabee. Cut it up, Mike. Up next, we're going to hear from some of my colleagues in the uh, world of electronic music and also uh, friends of the uh, God Said Give Them Drum Machines team. So, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased and honored uh, that these guys took some time out of their busy schedules to, you know, just give us some kind words and memories of the great Mike Huckabee. So we'll hear from Eddie Folks and Robert Hood. This is Eddie Folks. Techno originator, godfather, techno soul. Oh, what's a cool dude? Respect him a lot. You know, it takes a lot to take time to do something for the kids. You know, not having kids for himself. I'm sure Huck kind of cross-referenced that to helping the kids. You know, and Huck did a remix for me on my first label, City Boy Records. Uh, featuring Bill Beaver, where would I be? He called me and asked me, hey man, I need to get my name out there. I was like, bet, no problem. And uh, been on Huck, like since 1983, we met each other. I mean, well, we met at the bus stop. He actually knew who I was, you know, at the time, but it was all good. And we've been friends ever since, you know, Sad that, you know, Huck has gone, you know, still had a lot of irons in the fires to put out, you know, a lot of, he had a lot of irons in the fire, you know, to get things going for himself, you know, and, uh, you know, his slogan will live on forever. God gave us drum machines, you know? So I always say my kids, tell my kids things happen for a reason, you know? Can't control what God already have in front of you. Hey, this is Robert Hood. In the early days of progressive music, Mike Huckabee was at the forefront. He was a selfless ambassador of Detroit dance music and a connoisseur of fine music. He will be greatly missed.
Next up, we're going to have DJ and producer extraordinaire, Mr. Rick Wade, who was really good friends with Mike Huckabee for a long time. And so we're honored that uh, he too took the time out of his schedule to share with us his memories about the great Mike Huckabee. Hello. Hello. Hey. What up? Hey, what's happening? What up, bro? Yo, what's going on? You, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. So there, there were two, there are two reasons why I started my own label. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Two reasons. One was one day I was sitting in Derek May's uh, office and I happened to see a royalty statement from uh, some music he had licensed to a video game. <laughs> the second was Rick Wade. <laughs> so this was, oh my God, man, this, this, this had to have been like 15, 20 years ago. I, Rick was like, uh, he was the guest DJ, right? And it was this club, man. It was like way the hell out somewhere, probably like off a of telegraph road or some shit, right? Mm-hmm. And Rick was like way up. You know, like the dance floor was, you know, at the bottom, but you had to look up at the DJ. And so Rick, you know, was the DJ for that night. You know, I went out there to, uh, you know, support him. And um, like for the first 40 minutes of his set, he played nothing but his shit. Right. (laughs) And that always stuck with me like, okay. That's what it's about. You know, that's what makes you different from everyone else is that you're playing your own production. So, you know, Rick, you don't know this, but you know it now. But, you know, you're the inspiration. One of the key inspirations behind me starting, you know, my own label back in the day. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm humbled by that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, let's see. I, I'll start at the beginning of record time, um, or I should say where my story begins with record time. I had got a job working there and in the originally, well, let me say record time was split into two parts. You had the normal store where, where you had the CDs and the cassettes and that sort of thing. But then you also had what was known as the dance room, which was like a completely separate store in there. But inside this store, there was DJ setup. There were turntables, mixer, speakers, everything. So it was like a little mini club in there that you could buy records at, basically. Um, I wasn't in the dance room. I wanted to get in there. But for whatever reason, they wanted to keep me on the cash register and all that stuff. Um, but whenever Huck wasn't there, you know, if he was on break or out somewhere, I would go in there and like, you know, help the uh, customers out coming in looking for a different vinyl. Uh, a spot opened up in there and I was pressing to get in there. And then finally Huck went to the owner and was like, hey, you need to put Rick in here because he knows all the DJs, he knows all the music, you know, he'd, he'd be a really good asset in here. 
And the owner really listened to what Huck had to say. He held Huck's word in high esteem. So that's how I ended up getting in there was because Huck vouched for me. And now I had never met Huck before I started working at the record store. Um, I knew who he was, but he didn't know who I was or anything. At, at that point, I hadn't put any records out or nothing. I, I was uh, a local DJ playing at different spots around town. And I wasn't actually known for house music yet either. Back in those days, I was Big Daddy Rick, you know, the ghetto tech DJ. You know, that's that's what my thing was back in the old days. And so that was like the world that I sort of floated in. Um, I had house music mix shows on various radio stations from time to time. But as far as everybody in Detroit when I was, you know, the ghetto tech guy. Um, as we start, as I was working in the dance room, that's when me and Huck kind of, we formed our friendship. You know, we, we saw that we were very similar and like things we liked, the type of, especially the type of uh, deep house music. We both liked almost exactly, we, we had almost the exact same taste when it came to uh, house music and that's, really how our our friendship or the the basis for our friendship that's where the foundation of it um as i was working in there you know i kind of looked up to huck you know as you know as if he were a a big brother or something to me you know because i would see all the respect that huck commanded from everybody and and you know i was just some young wilding out young buck back in them days and but i was like man you know i want to get that respect like Huck, you know, Huck has it. And, and Huck kind of took me under his wing and sort of guided me along and showed me the ins and outs of not just say music production or DJing or uh, getting gigs or anything, but life in general, you know, Huck really had had it together. You know, he, even back in them old days, you know, he, he had a, a wisdom that was far beyond his years. You know, he he was a, a very old soul and he had contained a wealth of knowledge. And the thing that was good about uh, Huck, he was more than happy to share his knowledge with everybody. You know, in, anybody, if you were willing to listen, he had some, some knowledge to share with you. And it was usually something that you could take to the bank and it would, if you followed his advice, your situation would definitely improve. Um, for example, when I started making my first house tracks, um, and I, we would do this thing where we would make music and then bring it into the uh, dance room and play it on cassette, and it would just be playing out. And me and Huck would do this thing where we would try to trick each other and we would try to make each other think it was a record that came in, but it was really something that we had worked on. And the way how we could tell if it was good or not, if one of us started like nodding our head or asking, hey, man, what, what's that? What's that track? And then we, Huck would be like, ah, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, I made that. Yeah, that's hot. You like that, don't you? And, and I would do the, do the same thing for Huck, but... Um, I was, like I said, I was a ghetto tech type of guy, but I started 
making house tracks. And Huck was over at my spot one night and we're listening to one of my tracks play and Huck's like, yeah, man, you know, that's hot, but where's the baseline at? And I'm like, oh man, I don't need to put no baseline in there. What you talking about, dog? That's, you know, not even having the, you would think I should know better playing music and, you know, making ghetto tech. But uh, I just, at that time, didn't have a concept. I, I really need to put a baseline inside of a house track. And Huck was like, no, fool, you got to, you got to put a baseline in there, fool. You can't put no track out without a base, a house track without a baseline. The baseline is what helps carry the melody. That's what carries your track. And I took his advice and that was on the very first Harmony Park record um, on a HBO 01. And that record, fortunately, it, it blew up. And I, you know, credit Huck always with because I was going to put it out without bass lines on the tracks. <laughs> and, and, you know, and like I say, Huck told me put bass line on it. So I did that. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history when it comes to Harmony Park. So that was just one small example of uh, how Huck guided me when it came to production wise um, and getting, getting my act together when it came to producing. So 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 Rick, let's let's talk about Harmony Park. So Harmony Park was your label situation. Yeah, Har Harmony Park was actually started by myself and Dan Bell. Mm. Um, okay. In the beginning, I had you know some had those tracks that I was playing. Uh, like I said, I was playing in the dance room, and uh, Dan was hanging out at my spot one night. And we were just listening to, or we were listening to a mix show, radio mix show. And I would put tracks that I made into the mix show all the time. And Dan was like, man, what's that track? That is hot. Uh, and, you know, I was, uh, you know, it's just some old mess I made, man. You know, not really confident about it or nothing. And Dan was like, no, that, that's, I'm serious. That track is hot. He's like, that's way better than that ghetto tech stuff you're doing. He's like, you need to focus on making house music. Don't focus on ghetto tech. And so Harmony, and I said, well, I don't know nothing about putting out a house record. You know, I, that world is foreign to me, you know. And Dan said, don't worry about it. You just make the music. I'll take care of everything else. So on that first Harmony Park record, that was me and Dan Bell. And... Huck gets a lot of credit too because Dan knew about the business side of things, you know, how to run the label and all of that type of stuff. But Huck knew what DJs to get the what DJs' hands promos needed to be in. Um, because myself, like I said, I other than say house DJs who came into the dance room, I didn't know who should have a white label or, or, and how best to distribute that limited amount of test presses that we would get. Dan didn't know either. Cause Dan was more on the techno side of things with right. the plus eight mm -hmm. crew and that sort of world. Right. But Richie Houghton and yeah, Richie Houghton and all those cats. Right. Um, but Huck knew 
all the house DJs across the globe, you know, whether it was New York, Chicago, London, Paris, Huckabee was like, all right, we need to get these test presses. And when Huck would go overseas, um, one of the times he went, he took a batch of the white labels with him and just handed them out to cats over there. And next thing you know, I'm getting calls from the UK about the record and it hasn't even officially came out yet. And that was all due to Huck's influence passing those white labels out. Um, as time went on, on the uh, second record, that was Huckabee's record, right, uh, Deep right. Transportation. Deep, deep Transportation, right. I remember. Yep. And at that point, Dan has started to blow up with his uh, DBX um, stuff because his stuff was like, really hitting in Chicago at that time. And then it just kind of spread across the globe. And Dan was like, look, man, I got to step back from Harmony Park, you know, so I can focus on my own stuff. And I was like, oh, man, you know, it's no problem. You know, you you got to do what you got to do. Don't don't think you got to hold yourself up for me or or nothing like that at all, man. And and then Huck just kind of stepped into the role that Dan was in um, at that time. And so from that point on, Harmony Park was sort of a joint collaboration between me and Huck. Um, Anytime a record would, I would be about to release a record, Huck would handle getting those test presses out to who they needed to get out to. And he would talk to specific record stores too, because he had a good relationship with like the purchasers and buyers from different record stores across the globe. So Huck would be on the phone with them, like, hey, got this Harmony Park, you know, guys, I'm sure you can use some, you know, let, let me know if you want to pick up any. So Harmony Park was my label, so to speak, but I had a lot of help in the beginning with that, you know, between Dan and Mike Huckabee. Um, so that's where Huck came into play with Harmony Park. Mm, nice. You need to bring those t-shirts back, man. Well, I, I have some t-shirts, uh, on the, uh, rickwaydesigns.com. Oh, on know. the website? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, I have some Harmony Park t-shirts out there. Nice. You know I mean? I, I definitely wanted to ask, you know, ask you about, you know, what, what your thoughts are on, um, you know, I think that right now there's a there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot going on right now. One of the things that uh, always impressed me about Huck was that he, he did, he did work at Youthville and he Mm -hmm. was teaching, you know, reactor machine Ableton to the youngsters there. And, you know, being an educator at heart, you know, that, to me was like that's his legacy right there mm-hmm. you know what what you know what do you what do you think about you know his work you know and, and who did he work with tell us a little bit about the you know some of the some of the people who who uh who came through through his tutelage um well the only one notable that i know of is uh kyle hall because the youth build stuff that was more huck's thing i i wasn't associated with that at all um, so I, I can't really speak on, you know, what it was like when he was down there teaching the kids or any buddy of note 
aside from Kyle Hall, who he was teaching down there. But I can say this, Huck loved teaching the kids. I mean, he was super passionate about that. And he took such pride in that. Um, and, and I would say pride and not in a, a boastful or vain way, but he was proud of everything that was happening with the kids as he was teaching them. Cause he would always talk about how, how quick they pick up on, on things and how they would approach making a track or approach using a specific sound in a way he had never thought of before. And he was always amazed at the creativity that all of these kids had down there. And so Huff would be like, they're as much as he's teaching them about how to use the software or the equipment, he's like, they're teaching him about way, fresh ways to approach using specific sounds um, or arranging a track in a specific way or combining elements that you wouldn't necessarily think would go together. Like he would, the kids, he's, he would say the kids are combining like house, uh, what we would consider like traditional house elements in with techno tracks mm. um, or even in with uh, hip hop tracks. And Huck would be like, man, these, man, fool, these kids, man, they, their minds, they on another level, man. They on, they not, they thinking in ways we never thought of, man. They, they thinking in ways we never thought of. Sorry, I, when I talk about Huck, I always try to imitate his voice a lot Born of the time. Voice, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I actually got, got, a, um, I got a little piece of talking about Youthville queued up. Y'all want to hear it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I found a little piece of him talking about it. Like, Jen, I'm going to sh share my screen briefly so that you can hear my audio. So this is Huck at uh, Beat Drop. And, you know, I got a minute or two of him telling a little bit about what, what his work there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Youthville, uh, the project that you're involved with in Detroit. Um, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about that? You, you work with youth uh, up to the age of 19, and you teach music production. Yeah, I teach uh, Reactor and, and Ableton. Um, really, really fundamental to teach both of those classes. Uh, especially reactor to show them what um, sound is is capable from what waveform or what waveform produces what sound what what you use it for what is an envelope what is an oscillator all you know so many of these things and the terminology for it and then we make beats and then we put that together in the track enables and also teach machine as well. So a little bit of little bit of spillover of, of all three. Can you uh, maybe describe some of your students that you've encountered over the years? Uh, Kyle Hall is probably one of the most successful of, of, of them all. He was just really like, uh, had a lot of energy at the age of 14 and he just picked the ball up and ran with it. He had a lot of questions, and like I kind of answered from him, and he just took it from there. Uh, 
haven't seen anybody really like like him that has taken taken the ball and run with it. Really uh, exceptional kid. And then there's a lot of really exceptional uh, kids producing hip hop. You know, they 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 also can pr produce house. And I'm in the midst of trying to put out an EP from students. That's already going right now. I have the tracks. I just have to finish them. It's 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 different. Like. 10 to 20 years later because like they're influenced by dubs like and they're making house and I have to realize that like you know I wasn't I didn't have that in my path to be influenced by dubstep or so they'll try to make a house track with some of that influence in it and I tell them well you know that's a separate thing that doesn't work and they try to just throw everything in the truck <laughs> and uh and I have to, I, you know, you just have to like give them their space to like feel out everything that they're influenced by. And that, that's one thing that I have to realize is that like when I was coming up, I wasn't influenced by that genre of music. There's a, there's a pretty decent age range in this room right now. Um, I'm wondering if you think that young people have an advantage when learning music production. Not at all. Not at all. Anybody can learn music theory. Anybody can learn the piano. I I, I want to shoot the guy that said the older you are, you the less less chances you have to learn the piano. I want to shoot that that guy because that is not true. I mean, you can learn the piano at 30, 40, doesn't matter. It just matters to how much you practice. I, I, that is such a lie. That's that's like one of the myths about that I like to like, miss, you know, like shed light on it. Like, so so many people hear that, and it's a barrier for them to even initiate taking lessons. They say to themselves, "Well, I'm I'm 30, I'm 35. I, you know, it's always been said that the older you get, the harder it gets. N not true. If you can do anything at any age." So yeah, just wanted to like let you you hear a little bit, and he he really reinforced what you said. Yeah, <laughs> he, you know, you 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 right. literally said you know what, and so I thought that that was just really really ironic, you know, because yeah. that was his. He's like anybody can yeah you know, can do it, and they're and they're putting things together that we didn't think we were gonna do. Mm -hmm. The way we say don't do it, and yeah. it works, and that's how Kyle right. Hall is. Kyle right. Hall. You know, when you hear his work, you're like, you know, he's doing things you never expected. Yeah, you know? that's right. Right. You know, I, I just think that this video kind of just solidifies in my mind how great Huckabee was. He 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 just he was more than just a, a DJ. You know, he he was a teacher. Um, he was this uh, intellectual. Um, he was approachable, you know, he was humble. And I think that's why the world loved that brother so much. Um, because not only was he, you know, concerned uh, about himself, but, you know, you, you when you think you sit down with Huckabee, it wasn't about him. You know, he always wanted to know what was going on in your life. You know, yeah. what were you were what were you doing? Um, I remember I was having some challenges with uh, Ableton um, and um, 
you know, I hit Huck up and he was like, oh man, that's easy. <laughs> and I was like, bro, easy. I'm over here struggling. And, um, uh, you know, so he, he gave me his, his, his words of wisdom, uh, or his knowledge on it and, you know, set me straight. And, 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 you know, the other thing too, you know, um, as a DJ, I just had, and I'm sure Rick, um, you probably, you, you may agree with me. I, you know, there was such a reverence for Huckabee as a DJ. He was one of the first cats, man, that I ever saw that could mix a damn record and had those headphones sitting on top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. have seen, I've, I've been around a lot of DJs and you have too, Rick, but Huckabee, he knew those records, right? He was a student of the music of those records, man. He would, he knew where those breaks were. He would barely listen to those headphones, man. And those mixes would be on point. So I remember doing this party with 80 folks and, uh, 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 and Mike Huckabee in New York. And I opened up for Huckabee. And I just remember this was probably like maybe, you know, three, four years ago. And I remember being nervous. Right. And it wasn't a nervousness based in, I don't, I didn't know what I was doing. It was a nervousness based in respect, you know, and I wanted to come correct. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I wanted my shit to be right because I'm opening this up for Huckabee. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was just the man like that. You know, I called him, uh, that was, uh, you know, the Yoda of house music. You know what I mean? Like he, <laughs> when, when he DJed, he had this, this like this um this presence you know what i mean this this command um that was imbued with humility man and and knowledge you know and mm -hmm. um you know I, I i if anything you know if it's up to us the last thing we we should be about you know as detroit artists is is really keeping uh the spirit of huckabee and what he created uh, to live on, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, um, I, you know, I just think it's wonderful how he started to teach the kids, man, um, and expose them to, you know, what we do for a living, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that's, that's, that's how it, it carries on, you know, much love to Huck me. Yeah. Huck was, um, he felt really strongly about that, um, when it came to teaching the kids, not just for the sake of, you know, teaching, you know, the younger generation, but Huck felt really strongly about passing our knowledge on to other people. He was, um, Huck would, would say all the time that we were walking libraries or encyclopedias of knowledge about music, about DJing, about track production, all of that. But that knowledge needs to be shared with the world. Because I remember, because um, because I, I do uh, sample CDs, sell you know, sell sample packs and stuff. But I got that idea from Huck, because Huck was you know the first one that I actually knew who was in person who was doing that. And I remember Huck came over with his uh, first sample CD and had all these sounds on it. And he was like, "Hey man, you know, the, check this out." 
um, let me know if you think these sounds are usable. And they, they were definitely usable because like from that time I got that CD, probably my next 50 records or 50 tracks were all made using that Huck CD, you know, those sounds on there. So, and, and uh, Huck, uh, we, I would always laugh because people would talk about the Rick Wade sound, you know, like aside from like the Fender Rhodes, but like the, that uh, deep, when I do like more deep techie stuff, I, I use like those that have this specific type of sound that I use for the chords and stuff. That's from Huck CD. And Huck would be like, man, these fools talking about the Rick Wade sound. I made those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> he came over with that uh, sample pack and let me hear and was like, you think this is usable? I'm like, man, what is you, what you doing, fool? You, you giving away the, you know, the secret sauce. That's, uh, you know, you giving away what we use to make our tracks. That's the magic right there. You know, you, why are you trying to give that out to everybody? And Huck was like, no, fool, you don't understand that they're going to, people aren't going to use this the way that we would use it. He said, "All how people will use it is based on their life experiences and what they were influenced by. He's like, people don't have the same experiences that we had. They don't have the same influences that we had. And he is like, don't even worry about that. I'm like, man, what you talking about? You get the sound. It's, it's, that's it right there. And Huck was like, no, fool, you, you don't see the big picture, fool. For you, it's like that because of how you came up and how you were influenced. It's like, for everybody else, no, it's not like that. And then sure enough, that CD came out and the Huck came over one day and was playing for me, because this is, he had that uh, radio show in uh, Canada on that Canadian station. Right, and, C-Jam, I think it was. Yeah, that's it, C-Jam. Mm -hmm. And he would play tracks that people had made using his CDs on there a lot. And he would be like, see, fool, I told you, I told you. I'm like, man, you right. I would have never thought at all ever to make a track like that using, using your sounds. I'm like, yeah, they, you, you were right, Huck. You, you were right. And so for, and it was after that, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to make me some sample CDs now. <laughs> now that I know I won't be giving away the secret formula. And then Huck was like, Oh, fool, you're biting me, fool. You're biting me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, my life with the wave awesome. was epic. You mm -hmm. know, that, that, that was that was epic. And I listened to that show. And and, and what you're saying is is just so so true. It's your experience that in that that helps you to create your music. And so by the nature of not being from the D, you're gonna create something that's completely different that's that's what it's about is really understanding that you know we're telling stories based on our own experience you can't replicate the d if you're not from the d that's right well we'll see i'm, I'm actually not from detroit either though you know i i i have moved here uh to the detroit area back in like 87 so i've been here most of my whole life but Come on, you no, from I, the D. Yeah. <laughs> right, we, we we claim you as Detroit, brother. I, I, I've been in and out of the D for for, for right. thirty years, yeah. you know. But I'm from the. Right. D. <laughs> well, no, I mean I claim Detroit too. You know, as it, for me, it was Detroit is where 
I got my musical chops. You know, it was here that I learned production. It was here that I became a professional DJ. It was like everything that people know about Rick Wade music wise would not exist without Detroit. You know, so, so yeah, I'm definitely, when it comes to the music, it's Rick Wade, it's Detroit. You, you, you can't separate the two, you know, it's, it's just one and the same. So, bro, I, I just got one last uh, question for you. So, you know, you know, we are making uh, this documentary, God said, give them drum machines, uh, telling the story of the origin of, uh, of techno and how it came from Detroit. Um, you know, how in your mind, how important is this story you think, uh, you know, as far as, you know, telling the world, uh, letting them know, exposing them to uh, how techno came from Detroit? Um, well, it's, it's important on a whole range of levels. Um, just for one level, it's just for us as Black people, it's important for us to even know that that's something that we have done. That's an accomplishment. That's something that has influenced the world, not just influenced DJs, uh, but it's influenced culture itself across the globe. You know, you as Berlin, as we know it, wouldn't exist without Detroit techno. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that's how, how much of a significant impact um, Juan and Derek and, you know, Kevin and all Detroit itself has had on the world. Um, also too, you know, unfortunately we know how, how things go within the world. Um, it'll be without active diligence, you know, by, by yourself and everybody doing the documentaries like this, you five years from now, they'll be like uh, David Guetta and Tiesto created techno in, on a beach in Ibiza or something like that, you know, and, and that'll be the narrative that's told to the world and we'll be left behind, you know, and, and then the younger cats will be coming up behind us, you know, dang, man, we, we never did nothing as a people. That is, so it's important, I feel, that this gets out just for that sake alone, that is important. Um, it's and it needs to be not just this documentary, but it. This is something that needs to be said continually. You know, it, it can't be a one and done. You know, just our generation or within this uh, span of a couple of years, we all know it. But once we're gone, we still need people around to be able to tell the story and tell it accurately as well. So it's, I feel it's very important, you know, to do projects like this. Well, I could tell a, a quick little story about the way that Huck had influenced me when it came to Harmony Park. Remember, I was putting that first record out. I had... Uh, a few tracks, right? Uh, but, you know, more than just that original four that came out on that first record. Um, but that, well, to me, those that those first four were the hottest ones I had at that time. And then I had a couple other tracks that I felt weren't as 
as strong, but um, and Huck knew which tracks I liked and and all of that, and so he was like, "Well, why you why you pick these four to put out, and why didn't you pick these? I know you you really like that other track, man. Why did?" And I'm like, "Oh man, you know I I, I don't want to put all my hot tracks out at one time. I want to keep some back so for like the next release I can have." something I know is hot on there too. And Huck was like, no, no fool. That's not how you put out a record. He said at any moment in time, whatever you feel is your hottest material, that's what you put out. And then I, I was like, but man, what? And Huck said, you made those tracks, didn't you? So why can't you make more tracks that are even hotter than that? And then that always stuck with me. And I was, you know, I, I did make those tracks. So why couldn't I make more that's just as hot or hotter than that? So going forward from that moment on, I always kept that philosophy where whatever space and time I'm in and I'm about to release something, whatever I have that I feel to me at that moment in time is the hottest, that's what I put out at at that time. And that's all thanks to Huck telling me, don't hold, basically don't hold anything back. You got to give it, go 100%. If you're going to do it, you got to go all in on it. You know, you don't go halfway, don't hold nothing back. Just put it all out there. And then the next time you do that exact same thing, you, you don't hold anything back. You put it all out there every single time. So I thought I'd share that because that's, that's something that some advice that Huck gave me that I still follow to this day. And, you know, this was back in 1992, 93, when he told me this, and it still resonates with me to this day. Next, guys, if you think those stories were cool about Mike Huckabee with Rick Wade, up next, I managed to catch up with Mr. Derek May and Carl Craig, both of whom gave some very inspiring and uplifting words about the great Mike Huckabee. Check it out. I have a great story about Mike Huckabee. Uh, Mike, uh, it was um, Huckabee, not Huckabee. Uh, Mike, uh, used to, um, back at the very beginning, in the first days of all this, I was, um, trying to do my mix, uh, my mix tapes, uh, for the radio station. And I didn't have a So I used to borrow Mike's mixer on occasion. And he would let me, you know, Mike was reluctant to let me do it. It was his only mixer. And everybody knew back in those days that I used to break faders. I was the fader breaker. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I was the fast, furious, fader-breaker guy, you know, so he let me do it, and uh, he was kind enough to me. At that point, he was just a young kid, and I was a young kid, and we were both just still carrying no crates for our records, and there was no such thing as an international DJ, there was no glamour, no glory, there was nothing in this. Mm. It was just 
local. It was a beautiful thing, and we were we were we were trying to achieve excellence by being better than better than our counterparts, better than our our contemporaries, which were our friends, or not necessarily our friends, but uh, people that were doing the same thing in Detroit. Detroit was a very it's hard to explain for those who don't live in the city, the the, the close knit uh, community that we have musically here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily uh, friends, the best of friends, but it was a very competitive right. environment growing up, similar to New York or Chicago or any other big city where you got all these young kids fighting for that 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 same straw, trying to grab the same straw. So it was this really, uh, it was a beautiful thing to for him to let me do that because we were both striving for the same kind of thing. And but he knew I was doing my radio show with it, and he knew that he wasn't doing my radio show with it. But mm. he was very kind and very generous to me. And in return, later on in life, when I was doing uh, when I was playing at the Music Institute, which is the you know the, the pinnacle club of Detroit, one of the greatest clubs of all time. The Friday nights were the were, were, were was the best night the club ever had every single Friday. Mm-hmm. I had to I moved when I first started traveling and uh, going out of town, and it was Mike who I called uh, to uh, to be my replacement. Kevin Saunderson played at at the Music Institute one time, and that was the very first weekend because I had to go out of town. Mm-hmm. After that, it was just it was just myself and D. Win. We did every single weekend; nobody else did it. But uh, when I had to go out of town. When I finally started traveling, when all the records started going crazy and, and it just started taking off, I thought about Mike Huckabee. Yeah. And I said, you know what, Mike? You know, you're good people. You're a great DJ. Can you do this for me? And he was like, you want me to play at the music institute? <laughs> you know, you know, how he, you know how he got his, that, that one eyebrow went up. You're right, you know, he you're kind, right. of, kind of tilted his head to the left a little bit and his mouth would curl to the right up a little bit. Mm. You want me to do that, man? You sure about that, man? <laughs> Yeah, go in there and tear it up, man. Do your thing. So it was a different thing. But when I came back, I was gone for like three weeks. When I came back, nobody had anything to complain. There was no complaint. Not one. You know, because, you know, when you're playing every single week at a club, and when you're doing what we were doing, myself and D-Win, making history every single Friday night, mm-hmm. it's hard to, to follow that up. Mm-hmm. It's, hard to, it's hard to step into that. And he did. And he did it well. And uh, Mike, is, Mike was always a good friend. He was a dear, dear friend. It broke my heart uh, when he died the way he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just saw his brother Craig when I was driving the other day, and I didn't stop to speak to him because I, I don't think there's anything to say, mm-hmm. you know, about these about this. I think it, it was it was tough. It was a it was ugly and tough and sad. And it just it, it, it's not it's just hard. Right. You know, we're living in some difficult times. A lot of us are struggling, going through all kinds of things. I'm dealing with some things myself. You know, we're all going through some very interesting times. It's a very trying time, and we are all being tested. Right. And and where we go from here, and how we survive this, will truly tell the story of what we're made of. And I can tell you this, and I know you know for a fact, that Mike was made of salt. He was a good brother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Good words. Reggie, yes. thank you. You're a class act, my brother, and I appreciate you calling me about this, especially during these times that I'm dealing with. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for letting me have the opportunity to speak about a friend of mine, a genuine, kind, good man that, you know, 
really just just to help anybody. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, brother, for taking the time. Right. You, see, you said Carl wants to say some words? Yeah, hold, hold on. Okay. Hold on. All right. Hold on one Thanks. Hey, hey, brother, how you doing? I'm doing all right, brother. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Thank you so much for this. We're we're recording now, so yeah. Well, Mike was uh, was a man that I know knew for a long time without really knowing him. Mm. Um, you know, he he was you know his his character was quite quiet unless he's around people who you know who he really knew, and then it was still reserved in, in many cases. He was a guy who I believe he thought through his his um you know, through his comments, thought through what he was gonna say before he said it. He wasn't a guy who who I expected to, you know, have a fast conversation and it just it just happens. It's like, you know, he really had to think through what he said and I think that he was very deliberate in how he said things so that so that you didn't get him wrong. That's that's great. And I think, you know, when at um, record time, when he was there, there was a lot of, you know, real thought into what he he did with the dance room. And there was a lot of thought in um, what he brought to to the table there. And, um, you know, he might have had um, the biggest influence uh, on on uh, what DJs played in Detroit outside of you know not being on the radio, mm-hmm. you know? so yes. he had he had that power to um, bring in the music that that could shape um, how people in Detroit listen to music, and and uh, it was an important position. I think that he took it very seriously. Mm. Nice, nice. Thank you, brother. Appreciate those kind words. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Much All love right, and respect. Thank you. Yeah, take it easy, right? All right, brother. You too. Hi. All right. Bye. Okay. And what they said about the, what Carl said about Huck influencing the musical taste of Detroit, that was very true, you know, back in those record time days. And the, reason being he Huck didn't just have excellent taste in music you know we we all all know that and and he was the main buyer for record time for for the uh, vinyl records that uh we sold in the dance room but Huck had this gift for being able to read people like he just from a small conversation with a person he would know like their likes, their dislikes, their mannerisms. He, he was very good at being able to read people like with minimal effort. He could, it was almost like a, a psychic or or like a government agent who's trained in that type of stuff, <laughs> you know, just by how somebody would walk or their choice of words, he would know things about them. And as a result, he knew what type of music they probably would gravitate towards and what they would want to purchase. And so Huck had ended up getting his um, his gift for selecting music people was so good uh, before DJs would come, we would get our new shipments in on Thursdays, sometimes spillover and Fridays. And 
Huck would put together bags for people of records before they even come up came up to the store. So these they've never heard the records before. You know, Huck just pulled them based off of knowing the person. He knew what they would like. He put the records in a bag. The people would come up to the store, wouldn't even need to listen to it. There would be like Huck, they would come up to the store and be like, I uh Huck has a bag put aside for me. My name is DJ such and such. We look through the bags. Yep, here you go. They go straight to the counter and buy it in and out. And they would listen to it once they got home. Uh, that was Huck's gift for knowing what music people liked. And and within that spectrum of what the people liked, Huck had his own taste for what he liked. And it, it was as if Huck um, knew better than the person themselves what they wanted. Somebody might come up to the to the record store looking for something they might have in mind that they're looking for some specific thing and huck would just be like oh yeah yeah we got that have you heard this and then they would be like man I, whatever i was looking for later for that i want what you pulling out for me you know you you just pull some stuff out for me and then huck would just be like yep yep and that's and and basically that's how Carrie Chandler ended up being so huge in the Detroit area. You know, the, all his tracks and was because Huck knew that certain DJs liked a, a certain drum sound, you know, like specific drum, a certain kick drum in particular. And if a track had this, uh, this specific style of kick drum on it, which Carrie Chandler had in most of his tracks, then the DJ would want to buy that record. And so Huck would always get these Carrie Chandler records in because it had this certain sound, certain style of kick drum on there. Now the tracks were hot too, of course, but and back in those days, there, there was plenty of hot stuff around, but Carrie Chandler, his kicks resonated with so many Detroit DJs and to where now, you know, that's you, you drop a Carrie Chandler track at a Detroit party and, you know, you you tore the roof off the spot with that. But I, I said all that stuff just to say that Huck truly had a gift for knowing people and and the ability to not force anything on somebody, but just to lead them to it and they would make their own come to their own conclusion about it it, it was kind of like uh the movie inception he would put the idea in their head and then in the end they would think they came to that conclusion on their own but it was really huck guiding them <laughs> along the the whole time oh, wow. yes huck, huck was the the invisible hand mm, yep. behind the machine <laughs> <laughs> Man, I remember those Fridays at record time at the original location, man. That shit was like being in the club. You go to that dance room, mm -hmm. man, that little room would be packed. Yep. Full of DJs. And if Huck put on a record that you thought was hot, you better get Huck's attention. I would get Huck's attention way in the corner somewhere. Hey, Huck, 
yeah. I was like, okay, I, I I got you, man. I got you. And like you like you said, he would he would he would he would put those bags together because you know most of those bags were damn near imports or maybe records from New York. Man, you look up, you spend an easy hundred dollars. You spend yep. half your check uh, in record time dance room, uh, thanks to Huckabee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, thanks, Rick. Man, that was great, bro. Yeah, yeah thank you so much for joining us. Those were great stories. Thanks for having me. Guys, was that great or what? All those great stories and words of, of inspiring respect for the great Mike Huckabee. Hey, listen, please remember, you can follow us, this great podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening from, okay? And, you know, I want to also give a special shout out to Michael in North Vancouver and Gary in the United Kingdom for purchasing merch. Yes, you can purchase merch from us, guys. We have a website, gsgedm.com. We have posters. We have nice hoodies. And we are giving 20% off on everything this holiday season. So please go and check it out. Okay. Also, our documentary is due out in summer 2021. And we can't wait for you to see it. So stay updated with us on Facebook and Instagram at God Said Give Them Drum Machines. Also, I wanted to give a special shout out to Output, the sound design company in Los Angeles for providing me, the composer for this documentary, with such great sonics for the film. Guys, thank you for your support. We appreciate you. And as always, uh, Detroit is techno. And we can't forget, Huckabee, we miss you, brother. We love you, and we will always keep your spirit alive. See you next month, guys. Thank you for your support. Peace. Peace.